Greetings, Sharders, and thanks for tuning in to 17th Shard's interview with Crafty Games. I'm Carrie. I'm Eric. And I'm Josh. And we're representing 17th Shard this interview. Just to give a bit of advance warning, we're recording this over Skype, so please excuse any potential technical difficulties. And now let's bring in the wonderful folks from Crafty Games. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hey, Hi. we're great. Uh, so thanks for joining us, joining us this evening. Thanks oh, happy us. to be here. So we um, have Patrick and we have Alex. Why don't you uh, tell us what you both do for the RPG? Alex? Um, well, I'm Alex Flagg. I am the lead developer um, and uh, system designer for Mistborn. Um, I was also the guy who ran out and found the license at the beginning. Uh, I'm Patrick Capera. I'm the lead editor um, and the promotional guy. So he, his job is to make me look good. Yep. My job is to make his life hellish. Pretty much. Generally speaking. Sounds like a beautiful balance. It, it's, it's true. I cut the checks, so he has to be nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> Always a great way to run things, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So what made you guys want to do a must an RPG in the first place? Well, um, <clears throat> excuse me. The uh, it was funny. It was a friend of mine, actually from Montana. Uh, there you he, go. Who, <laughs> a, a small world. He he, um, he came in to work one day, and he knew I developed games. And he took this book, the Final Empire, and tossed it at me and said, "You need to make a game of this. It's really good." And uh, I looked at it and said, uh, "Yeah, okay. I've heard this from lots of people." <laughs> whatever and uh so you know i, I, I kind of and he kept on it every day we go to lunch and he's like you got to make it have you looked at that yet have you bought it yet and he's kind of intense like that so i finally i was like fine 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 i'll get the book so i bought the book um took it home read it read about 30 pages into it and said you know this will make a really good book uh <laughs> really make a really good game and uh so that was that was how we started um and uh then just by dumb luck, uh, Brandon was on tour, um, coming through my hometown of Portland, Oregon, uh, doing a, his uh, doing the promotional tour for Well of Ascension, um, and so I I wrote him and said, "Hey, I write you know games. Uh, kind of interested in what you might think about doing a licensing deal." And uh, he was really enthusiastic, and so we went. I met him afterwards. We hit it off immediately. We had a light dinner and uh about an hour later kind of had a basic handshake deal and a, and a framework um and so you know it took a while to get everything rolling from there of course um because he's got a really good agent who made sure all the i's were dotted and t's were crossed um but i mean that was the basics of it it was real simple back then before you know he got um got the the big stuff, you know, like a memory time. of light and all that yeah. other stuff all the time. It was just so, I mean, but it's great. He's been super supportive since the very beginning and all the way through. Um, so yeah, he was just really enthusiastic for it and, and he's been really excited about where we're going with the game now. It helps that he's a gamer. Yes. Yeah. yeah well, you can tell the, the genes are in the books. You know, you look at the magic system, you can see it. You can see this is a guy who, you know, with his friends when he was a kid, who's maybe looking at a D and D book and thinking, "How does it actually work?" You know, well, what would you do? You know, what happens when you cast? I don't know. Put a portable hole in a portable hole, or you know, whatever the the silly things you ask when you're 
13 years old or 14 years old and getting into gaming. Um, but yeah, he, he had put a lot of that thought into the game. It's very or into the magic system. is very clear. And so that provided a really good framework for us to take off with. Great. That, that's awesome. I didn't realize that this was all, uh, it had been in development for so long. That's really oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's been in development quite a while. <laughs> we see in the Adventure Primer uh, that you've implemented a really interesting D6 system. What made, you to, what made you decide to choose that over, say, D10 or D20? What can you tell us about the mechanics? Um, well, I, I think you know it, it kind of started with um, what we wanted for the audience. Um, you know, gamers are uh, there's a lot more fans of fiction than there are of uh, than there are gamers, um, and so we kind of started with you know, well, who's gonna who's gonna come to this? You know, Brandon's got a lot of fans, a lot of very enthusiastic fans who will get into almost anything that has Mistborn on it. So we kind of wanted to make something that was really accessible. And um, so the D6 was a decision I made very early on that I wanted to use something that people would have laying around the house um, that you don't have to go to a specialty store for necessarily. Um, you know, you pick them up at literally at a grocery store if you need to. Um, and, you know, we've developed D20 games. I mean, that's what we're known for really is where we, we cut our teeth, um, built our reputation. But uh we want to do something different here, something that's just just kind of easier to roll with. Um, so the, the basic game design um, is that uh, you have a pool of dice. Uh, they come off. You have attributes, and you the, you can add additional dice from having certain character tags called traits, um, which feed you extra dice to increase the size of the pool. And then what you do is you roll the dice, and any numbers between one and five, any matches, um, the highest matching set gives you uh, your success number. So if you get a, your highest matching numbers are a three, a pair of threes, then you've got a, a result of three. And you compare that to a difficulty to see if you succeeded. Um, sixes become uh, what we call nudges. And nudges are little bits of awesome that you can sprinkle throughout what you do. So, you know, if you're attacking someone, you could use nudges to, you know, um, do extra damage or you could do it to pull off a cool stunt or a trick, you know, um, you know, if you want to attack someone and hit them in a certain spot, you might need to get your attack and you try to get two nudges. And if you do that, you hit exactly where you want. Things like that. Um, so that that's the basics of the system. I mean, really, really simple to use. Um, but uh, it's it's got a lot of depth mathematically. Pat, did you have something you wanted to say? I was just going to say that, that nudges have uh, near infinite application. We have a, a rule in the game where um, three or more nudges in uh, in any situation allow you to, for example, forego doing individual nudge effects to apply a big nudge effect to everyone on the op uh, opposing side. So there's lots of little things like that. You they just killed the Lord Ruler. Yay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, hopefully it's More not like quite that random you know an entire opponent team but yeah <laughs> yeah but it does do, do extra things you know if you get enough um nudges you could do things like give your have the entire team do what we call catch a beat where you actually everybody gets to act again or 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 things like that where you all get to to pick up and give your team a benefit or something like that so there's there's lots of different ways to apply them and we use these pretty liberally throughout 
um, the magic system and, and uh, the conflict system in places where some of that deeper gameplay is is more rewarding. So, for example, maybe rioting your teammates to encourage them and do better in battle. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's um, but the 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 system in and of itself is not super heavy mechanically. We we wanted a game where you can kind of pick up. Well, we wanted a game that was representative of the narrative of the books. Um, so that meant a game that was encouraged um, to be dynamic, um, to be to reward description, um, and uh, and to uh, reward creativity on the the basis of the players. So um, a good example is when you're taking an action. Um, let's say, okay, if you've played other games, sometimes you people go up and say, "I attack." I attack, I attack, and they roll the same dice, and nothing changes. They, you could have the one guy who's very florid about his descriptions, and I slice through his jacket, or you know, whatever. And then you have the other guys like, I attack, do I hit? You know, and the um, the Mistborn game inherently rewards people who are more descriptive. Um, if I have a a character who happens to have the trait nimble, um, then if I can work being nimble into how I do things then the uh, narrator will give me an extra die um, because, oh, I'm taking advantage of my nimble trait. So it encourages you to play to type to use those traits creativity, uh, create creatively in how you um, describe your actions, how your character goes about things. It kind of forms a worldview. Um, but it also leaves uh, plenty of room for interpretation. Um, so you're not very much locked into, you know, on round two you can do these three things you know there's there's lots it's open so that people who want to be you know running between the legs of the coloss um you know before backflipping and kicking in the back of the head you know like we've seen in, in some of the um in, in the novels themselves uh that those people will be rewarded for putting that extra effort in to, to making things interesting they get more out of it their characters get more out of it and descriptions actually happen on both sides of, of the uh, uh, the process there. There's a, there's a mechanic called a burden, um, which is a trait that you actually uh, uh, inflict upon your opponents. So you can inflict things like broken bones or um, bruised egos, <laughs> um, and they impact their uh, those people's dice rolls moving forward. They also happen to, imp- uh, to increase their uh, advancement rate uh, because you learn from your mistakes, but... That's part of the balance of the system. So how big of a challenge was it to translate the metallic arts into an RPG system? Uh, kind of – I think it was easier than you might think initially um, because there's so much structure to them in the books. Um, they were definitely – I found challenges like um, is there an economy in Scadrio or not? to be more challenging sometimes because you never see anyone buy anything in the books. I have no idea, for example, what things cost. Um, Which made a whole section of the, of the mechanics very tricky uh, because there's, there's one whole portion of your character that is about worldly influence. And how do you do that without an economy? Really? Right. It gets tricky. So you can't just default to coin. We have a stat called resources, which handles how you buy things. You use your resources to, to, purchase stuff if you want to but most of the time mistborn heroes don't need a lot of stuff they you know they use whatever they've got or they pick it up as they go um so we wanted to again that it's reflective of the setting um 
but in terms of translating the metallic arts into an RPG, they were so nicely defined and packaged that it became pretty easy to, we could start out with what's in the books and then build around that. Um, so uh, it was just a matter of figuring out how I would represent, let's say, um, using uh, steel pushing um, in different and interesting ways. Um, ways th- ways we've seen it in the books and things we have not. Where it got to be more tricky uh, was when we got into areas that have not been defined in the books. Um, for example, the spiritual metals in ferrochemy, or the um, or like the uh, oh gosh, what was the other one that was kind of tricky? The temporal stuff, the temporal Wait, metals. They're called spiritual metals in ferrochemy. That that's the fourth category. Uh, that's the third one. There's another one you haven't seen. So, Ooh. oh, will be revealed. Yeah, uh, but, but yes, there's um, there's a there's a whole section of fair cami that we got to really play in. It was it was awesome because we worked with Brandon, um, in development, and um, talked a little bit about well, how you know how the heck would this work? And so in some ways we were creating. A, a basic framework for how that would work. And I'm sure that in the future he'll have other ideas and he'll continue to expand on, on, um, on those metals and how they're used by ferrochemists and, and by alamancers. Listeners, you can't hear, but like the three of us were like totally grinning like school children. Cause it's so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say squeeing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> we're we're trying to impress it. But. That was one of the most exciting things about this project was uh, I've worked on a lot of licensed games and usually you come in and you uh, work with what you're given um, and uh, and you're representing what's already on the screen or already on the page. And uh, in this particular case, we had the good fortune of Brandon actually saying, uh, I want you to create new material for this. And in fact, there's a bunch of stuff that I've always thought needed to be part of the world, but I didn't have a place for before. And we had the opportunity to show a lot of that off. Uh, uh, the metals, there's, as Alex says, there's a lot of material in that portion of the of the book um, that's never been seen before. That's brand new content. Um, and we have a, an entire one of our in sheets is all new. Uh, it's a, a brand new table of metals. Um, so there's all sorts of stuff that uh, you'll be able to see for the first time in this game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was it was cool to work with the the creators. You know, we got to work with Brandon, but we also got to work with Isaac Stewart, um, who is the guy who designed all of the um, glyphs. You know, he's done the the mm-hmm. Alamantic poster, um, and he's done a bunch of other things. So there's there's glyphs I'd never seen before. I've seen things he's done for Alloy of Law that were pretty cool, uh, and we worked with Ben McSweeney as our illustrator, who is kind of Brandon's. Um, uh, I, would I say official illustrator? He's, um, he's, a, he's pretty one much his official concept artist at this point. The, right. uh, um, uh, the, the, I think I believe it was Way of Kings, right? That he did all the concept art for. Yeah, he did a bunch of it. He didn't yeah, do yeah. all of it. There was a couple pieces oh, okay. done by other folks. He but was uh, he responsible did... for moving the shattered planes to Roshar, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Ben's Ben is a font of ideas. Let me tell you. Like, <laughs> And he, you have a casual conversation with Ben, how are you doing today? And he'll have 12 new ideas about how to handle, should I illustrate it this way or that way? Uh, yes. So it, it was, <laughs> we, we really kind of gave him his head, you know, because he has, he has our absolute confidence. We met Ben shortly before we met Brandon and they ended up 
he's ink thinker over on the uh, on the forums and stuff mm-hmm. that's how folks may know him and uh, then he hit it off with brandon turns out he was a huge fan and so we signed him on for the mistborn game very early on um before they had quite the same relationship as they do now so it, it's worked out very well so we got all the kind of core creators around mistborn um working with us to develop the game and there's a really cohesive look the entire book uh was effectively illustrated by only three people um uh which is isaac and, and ben and then steve huff our graphic designer who created some of the interior graphics yeah Okay, so this wasn't on the dock, but it came up, so I have to ask it. Can is there any sort of hint you can give us as to the new material you created for the book, or is that all zipped? The vast majority of it takes place in book three. There are four books in the in the volume. Uh, we call them books. They're like really large chapters. Um, and uh, the 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 third book is the the treatise metallurgic. And the vast majority of the new stuff for this book, this product is in that chapter. Um, however, uh, our goal moving forward is to put new material in all of the supplements. Right. Uh, it, the, the thing about creating so much of new material is that it always requires far more uh, eyeballing and approval. Um, you know, people need the time to go through it. So if you hand, you go to Brandon and say, here's 100,000 words of new, potentially canonical material. Um, what do you think? <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, it's going to be just overwhelming. So we, uh, you know, we're, we're taking it off in little pieces. We're focusing, um, the, the core book is really focusing on the, the world we know with enhancements and kind of new things. So, you know, we got to play with areas like um, new dominances. Uh, well, not new dominances. The dominances you know, but getting in, explaining what they are, what they actually are like. Um, we researched and then we kind of filled out other details. Um you know, touching on new uses, new uses of magic and, and new forms of, of magic um, that are out there. Um, there's a couple new critters we've come up with. Uh, so uh, it, uh, uh, things like that. The core book is, is a little bit of a delicate balance because you want people to be able to play the game that's already in their heads. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to, to uh, have it be chucking lots of new ideas at them. Um uh, and also, frankly, Brandon created so much for the core trilogy that that um, kind of breaking out of that, um, uh, all, it just requires a, a massive amount of, uh, of, of text, and we already had a lot of it. Um, uh, so we had the benefit of just being able to look at it and say, well, where are the holes in the in the base presentation? And the holes aren't, they're not really holes, they're just things he's never talked about before. So we got to the, uh, we filled those in and they're mostly in the magic system. In the future, um, when people have absorbed the core game and, and we're, we're doing PDF supplements and we're doing print supplements, uh, we're hoping to expand a lot of things. We want to get deep into noble culture, we want to deal with the Chondra homeland. Um, yeah, there's there's yeah. there's a lot of, of really interesting topics that we can dive into. Yeah, and and there is um you know we also I, we keep neglecting to say this, but there's a bunch of fiction at the beginning of this book as well. Um, so there's there's some Brandon's fiction, Brandon. yeah. but yeah, there is some some from Brandon. There's an official story which uh, features a fan favorite character, um and uh, and it's really cool. Is it, uh, is and, it pretty awesome? Uh, it is pretty awesome. Awesome. Um, so we're very very happy to have it in our book. Um, and then there's a bunch, there's kind of a new, um, the seeds of a new story laid out with new characters and things like that, um, in book one of, of the book, which is really kind of a, 
it, it's designed as for someone who's not familiar with Mistborn, it gives them a really good feel for what the world's like. Um, it's like a for, narrative for, tour of the of the setting. Exactly for the for fans of the books, um, there's a there's a really interesting plot there, and it's kind of laying out a lot of seeds, which we can well, which we can and will play with. Um, and there's uh, there's some pretty cool. Um, you know, expansions of, of what the houses may, how the houses behave towards each other and little peeks into noble culture and, and stuff like that. So there's lots of, lots of things we can play with there that's, that are new and interesting, um, expanding on Mistborn. That, that, that's so awesome. I, I have to ask, uh, when about in the history of the final empire does this happen? Uh, we designed it, we had looked at, you know, can we do eras or whatever, but it, you know, the world changes a lot. Um, it, this is set around the time of the original trilogy. So, I mean, if I had to put, put a year on it or a time, I would say figure about, you know, 50 from about 50 years before the events of, um, uh, the final empire, and then all the way through the original trilogy, you can play at any of those times. So it's it's the thing that we already know, um, but you know, given more room to to play around in. Um, but we've talked about other eras and and other ways to dip into it. Alloy of Law, uh, a supplement for Alloy of Law is one, obviously. Kind of by default, a different era. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. 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 Alloy of Law will be handled as a as a, a supplement to the core game, but an entirely new setting, um, and will have a lot of its its own needs uh, on the magic end, um, and and frankly on a lot of ends. I mean, it's going to change technology. Uh, yeah. You know, all that stuff. Right. And and ideally, I I tend to while I'm editing the book, I tend to place myself in the first. The, the final empire that's the, the the very first novel is is where most of of the perspective is set but alex is right it's it's wide open to anything surrounding the trilogy yeah we're careful because we're not really sure exactly how people are going to be coming to um Scadrial. so uh, uh in in most cases we expect people to be coming from the novels to our game and that's fantastic but what happens if somebody does it the other way around what we don't want to do is ruin um, Brandon's work with that trilogy. So we've tried to sidestep a lot of the problems that uh, that might be presented from that perspective. Yeah, our, our assumption is that um, folks will have or will shortly read the first book. Um, so we, we don't really worry about spoiling the first book too much, at least the first three quarters of it, um, because that's an excellent introduction to the world. And that's kind of where I think the main wheelhouse will be for a lot of gamers before, you know, characters, the, the iconic characters of the novels take over and it becomes their story. Um, you know, we wanted the game to be, so what have happened if you were Kelsier's crew or even better, what if Kelsier never, and Vin got killed by the Lord ruler, <laughs> you know, what happens then, you know, um, and, and you really start over, um, with, with the players and their characters, being the heroes of a story and do they follow the same path and again the crew is the basic unit of of uh of uh your play group it's it, it, the assumption initially before we get into things like the steel inquisitor supplement or or anything like that the assumption is that you're you're running a crew so what are what is each of you bringing to that crew and and what are your goals individually and as a crew those are actually things that are 
those are questions that are answered while you're building characters. Be- before you even get to your own character. So you kind of figure out, well, what's my role? Why am I in this group? Why am I working with these people? Um, so you have something to build on kind of collectively. That, that's so awesome. Just all of that. You, you, you guys need to get it done right now. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we do. I, I want it in my hands like five minutes from now. And I just will just skip classes. I'll tell you what, you'll build a TARDIS and we'll make that happen. Awesome. Yeah. I'll get on that. I You've got yourselves a deal. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be there t- I, yesterday. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I promise to only use the TARDIS for good. However, I'm going to need to borrow it on alternate Fridays. Oh, Apparently. Yeah. So, okay. Man, we just like totally went. <laughs> we, we, we do, listeners, we do have an outline. We, half of it's gone now, but you know. <laughs> we live to derail. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Hey, but it, it turned out awesome, so yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. Good, good. Let's comment on the interview as it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's for the like bonus features. Right. We'll edit this part out, right? <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Ahem. Okay, so... Do we need something else the... to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> back as, I'll try and get us back on the outline for now. Um, <laughs> on Skadrial, we see all these different and really unique magic systems and different abilities. You have the ferrochemist, you have the allomancers, and even then you have, say you know, thugs versus tin eyes. Was it a challenge to try and balance the utility of the different abilities against each other? Yes. Um, (laughs) In some cases. Uh, You know, I mean, we, if we have, what reputation we have from, from previous games we designed is that people really like the way we balance things. We've got a, I, I like to think we both have a very round way of looking at how game benefits come into it. But some things aren't quite as sexy as other <laughs> things. For, for example, um, you know, a common concern is that Mistborn are going to overpower everything you know, because they're awesome and all the most awesome characters are Mistborn. And, you know, um, and so who, do, who doesn't want to be that guy? And the way we balanced it out uh, in terms of magic was have the, those people who are very powerful with magic um, pay both in terms of focus – um, and in terms of their other abilities. So to be good with magic, you have to give up strengths maybe in your attributes or your standing, which is that worldly influence you have. Um, so, you know, uh, and all those things are very essential. Those, those sets of abilities, you know, com- comprise your health and, and your reputation and your willpower and all the things that help you survive, but you're giving that up essentially to focus and be really great with uh with magic and so um and then the other thing is of course um that uh, a, a misting we've set it up in such a way that a misting is substantially better um with with their powers than any mistborn is going to be out of the box um and and over time as a misting develops you know he's spending his um advancements his experience points on developing one power 
So he gets better and better and better with that one power. Meanwhile, the Mistborn is dribbing and drabbing stuff all over the place. You know, he's well. I'll do a little. I I need to get a couple stunts for to be better with my my Peter. And oh yeah, I could. I really need to be good with steel because people keep kicking my butt by flinging things at me. You know, and so gradually, um, you'll see that the the. Uh, the generalities it causes a, a mistborn or ferricims to split their attention uh, and split their focus and so they're not going to be nearly as skilled um, or as good with their abilities as a, a really good um, alamancer is with his powers or uh, how, what have you so yeah i think there's it, it's got a nice internal balance um and then even characters without powers um have their own schwa because they're not spending anything you know they don't have these you know kind of experience point sinks on powers and so they're they're getting new traits and developing their attributes and abilities and they're becoming really good at being just good at stuff and um so that's that's how they develop their own thing so there's it, it, it we're finding that you know through play testing and things that it, it really does work out to to give the guy who wants to be dachshund in the crew, you know, the guy with no powers who just happens to be really good with finance, you know, and has a lot of connections. Um, he's a badass in his own right. Um, and it, it, even though he's not going to be, you know, leaping over buildings or, you know, seeing three miles with his, with his stored site or whatever, um, he still has his own thing that really makes him valuable, a critical member of the crew. Um, so that was really important to us all the way through the game's development. Yeah, nuts and bolts, it, it boils down to at the beginning of character creation, you're answering 10 questions, and some of those questions relate to your strengths and weaknesses. And there is a point at which you're forced to make a decision about what your strongest thing is. Um, and then um, by default, your other things can't be as strong. Um, and when you make your second strongest one, your third strongest one is automatically chosen for you. Um, so everybody has a priority set, and um, powers are one set, attributes are another, standing is another. So everybody gets to focus in one thing. You get to be somebody who's really competent, or you get to be somebody who's really influential, or you get to some, be a misborn or something equivalent to a misborn. Right. Did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Okay, good. <laughs> It, well, that's like I we have another staff member and he was trying to make a D20 version of Mistborn. And so he was doing a lot of this stuff. And so it, this is fantastic. OK, good. How did you find defining levels and experience? Uh, there are no levels in the game. OK, um, the uh, it, the. the we tried to get rid of a lot of that artificial game stuff when we could um, really have the game focus on being more about the story and the narrative around it and less about, you know, grinding your levels and getting, the, you know, achieving the highest pinnacle of achievement. So what we have instead are advancements um, and the way things like experience are developed are actually by doing and accomplishing things in the game. Um, they're awarded as you go. Um, so, you know, if you defeat a nemesis or you, um, overcome personal demons uh, in some way. Both those things, or you overcome, or someone uses a burden against you, like uh, Pat had mentioned. Um, those are all ways to gain advancements. Um, the uh, 
And so as you develop the advancements, um, you get to these points in the story where there's kind of a lull, uh, which we call breathers. And that's a time where, you know, players heal and they replace their equipment and all these things happen. Um, and that's where, you know, the pizza arrives. The pizza, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's the short breather and then the long breather, which is like the training montages happening in the background. The Rocky music comes on. Um, <laughs> that's that is how we. That's when people advance. So you don't have this where I'm. I must hold. I'm in the dungeon. I need five minutes. You focus, and then suddenly I am. I am stronger. I'm better at hitting things. I also have developed a new feat. You know, it, it, it doesn't happen that way. When you advance, you choose one thing. So for advancing a group is very simple. Um, you know, you've been playing through the game. Um, I'm, I'm playing, you know, just an Alamancer, but I realize, I, you know, I've been using this, this history skill a lot, or I've been doing a lot of work with lock picking. So I'd really like to have a trade in lock picking. When that next breather comes along, I spend my advancements and I say, I'm going to get the trait, uh, you know, a uh, lock picker, you know, and I add that to my character. I'm done. I'm leveled. So you don't have that big pause while everybody opens the book and looks up tables and starts doing that, filling out the sheets. Um, we're very familiar with this with being D20 designers in the past. Um, you know, now it's, it's something you can actually do if you needed to in the middle of a session. Um, you may not want to, but... You can. There really isn't a lot of, of book referencing at any point, honestly. There's the the most uh, I, I the most I expect it to happen is when people are using um, certain magical abilities that that are uh, a little more detail oriented. Some of those you might go back and double check a few times, but yeah, soothing uh, and stuff like that. This is a yeah. pretty detailed one. But the system is so um, easy uh, and. There, there's a there's a video game uh, set of video game terminology that that applies to this. It's breadth and depth. Um, and the idea is you want a game that's not incredibly um, incredibly uh, deep, but has a uh, uh, um, huge breadth. Um, and that's because depth represents learning curve. And so you want the the number of things that you have to learn to be relatively small, which we think we've uh, we've managed here. Um, you know, your character only has nine base stats. And all of them essentially work the same way with a couple of add-on rules for one or two of them. Um, traits always work the same way, and they're a huge part of your character. Powers always work the same way, and they're a huge part of your character. Um, uh, the most complicated part of the game is, is the con conflict system, and once you've gone through it a couple times, it becomes second nature. So we expect that once people have played two or three sessions of this, they're never going to have to represent, uh, 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 go back and look at the book again until they build a new character or they try and write their own their own stories or whatever. So we see on your website that the rules of the Mistborn RPG will be more story-oriented. What made you want to do this approach over, say, focusing on combat? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> this is a literary license more than anything. You know, we're, we're writing to please a writer. Um, so uh, I think having a strong story um, orientation is important from a business sense. But I, I think moreover, um, the people who like these books, the people who like these books really love the characters in the world and the, the nature of the books. You know what I mean? They like... They like how the story is told. They like the strong characters that can influence the world around them. They like that epic fantasy feel. And it was very important for me as a kind of a core goal was to make sure that 
story was integral. The story was not only integral, it was the most important thing in the game. And so reining in combat, which in, in other games can... Oh, and, and it can very easily override things because the amount of detail it requires, because the amount of focus it gets from players, because it it is life or death for the characters, um, was was really important. So we kind of dialed it back and started and said, how do we put story first? And that decision, you know, how do we put the the character's story? How do we put um, how do we put the the narrator's ideas for plot in front? How do we put what the goals of those characters are in front of everything else? Um, that was really the probably the the first thing that we always thought of when we were developing new parts of the game. Um, well, there was a really interesting conversation. I'd say about 20% of the way into the development of this game uh, where we, we finally sort of um, figured out what the game was because uh, very early on it's blue sky and you're, and you're, uh, you're looking at all the different options and you have a lot of ideas and, and it, it's almost uh, a fantasy from the game designer standpoint. None of it's really real. Um, and then you start making decisions and things become unreal and you start, questioning yourself and becoming unsure about all the things that you're definitely not going to get in the game anymore because you've made this one choice or whatever. And tears start falling on the keyboard and, and yeah. you start staying up at night trying to figure out what's going on. You know, why are you doing this? And, you know, and, so on and, and then so it's on. nothing but nightmares all the way to the, the end of the product. But, <laughs> but uh, um, Alex and I had this interesting discussion where, I mean, it, we both agreed that that story had to come first and, and Brandon had, um, uh, asked for it in the early discussions. He'd, he'd taken a look at our other, our other products and he loved them for what they were, but at the end of the day, it wasn't appropriate for Mistborn and we agreed. And um, so putting the story first was was critical. Um, what was interesting to me was what became the second part of the game, which was the magic system. Because originally, the game was nowhere near as crunchy as it actually wound up being. Um and it, uh, there was a point where we where we thought, well, we want the game to have this level of, of mechanical diversity. Uh, we want this many different kinds of mechanics, and we want things to be this simple. And we realized that if we did things the way that we originally an- anticipated doing them, that the magic system would be our combat. It, uh, when you got to it, suddenly you'd have this big chunk of rules that you don't have anywhere else in the system. And what what happens when you do that? It, it means that everybody gravitates toward that part of the game and the game can't be anything else. And, and you don't want that. So we wound up actually going back and looking at um, the social end of the game. And we went back and looked at the, uh, the mental end of the game and, and what these meant to player characters and how we could represent them well. And, um, and we wound up with this three tiered or three sided conflict system where um uh, you can represent combat um, or uh, tests of wills or uh, 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 blackmailing or anything, and they, they all have the same level of mechanical uh, support. Um, and all of those are roughly as as deep, I think, as what we've got in the in the, the magic system. So the magic system's still the highlight of the uh, of the. It's the star of the show, right? Because that's that's where Brandon's talent really shines. Um, and if you look at, at our product, 
um, that shows we've got four books and one of them, basically a quarter of the book is about magic. Um, and a, another quarter of the book is the rest of the rules. <laughs> so, uh, so the magic's still getting quite a bit of, of play, but, um, but because we made that choice, it forced us to make a bunch of other choices, um, in the, in the core system, which I think made it a much more robust game than it was originally. That's really interesting because I was reading about this and I was thinking, man, they're starting from scratch and making all these new rules. But it actually sounds like it was better for you guys to do it that way than adapting, a, say, an existing system you'd already made. Oh, oh very yeah. much so. <laughs> very much so. It, there's, there's, a, there's terror of the blank page, you know, because you, there's a whole new round of mistakes you can make when you're starting a new system um, rather than learning from the old ones. But it also frees you to do brand new things. And I think that there's a lot of brand new things in this game that people who are familiar with our past work will see um, that they'll be pretty excited about, I think. Yeah, the the philosophy, that there's, there's a crafty philosophy that we have about um, things getting equal, equal um, mind space you know you, you don't introduce a concept unless it can compete with another concept and and you make sure that your rules are balanced enough that you don't have any obvious gimmies and and there's there's a, a level of of gm or in in this case narrator support that that we tend to to offer people that a lot of games don't all of those things are st- those hallmarks are still true in this product um so even people who are longtime crafty fans um, are, are going to find a lot of familiar territory here. And silence. <laughs> just, I'm really good at just closing the room down, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> we're just in awe of how awesome this is. Yes. I, I'm just because amazed I'm... you shut up finally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about me and <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I, She's carried. You're no, so, it's okay. so talkative. Well done, <laughs> Alex. Well done. Ten years. I, yeah. I figured it out, but there, there was always there's always that initial moment of shock. It's like what? And then oh, I know it. Yeah, it happens my all the time tastes, in staff meetings. Just FYI, my foot tastes delicious. <laughs> my foot's in my mouth. Yeah, salty. No. Okay. Oh, okay. Never mind. Okay. What do you got? Okay. There's a question Eric, I think, wants to ask. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so, y- y- you've told us a little bit about the new ferrochemical powers, and uh, as the crazy theorizer on 17 Shard, I feel obligated to ask, can, can you tell us one of the new ferrochemical powers? Just, you know, just, just one. Two, can I tell you part of one? Hey, sure, sure. I guess if that's. I'll all. tell you the power, but I won't tell you what metal it comes from. How about that? Ooh, that's cruel. But okay. okay. Uh, I won't tell you the most mind-bending of all of them. Um, oh, actually, there's two that are really. Anyway, uh, connection. <laughs> Wait, say that again. Connection. Connection. To mm-hmm. what? I didn't say I'd extrapolate. I, you know, <laughs> I will like try and mine for as much information as I can. Okay, yeah. action, interesting. Action. And is there is there a lot of stuff on hemallergy in the thing, in the the 
in the thing. In the thing. In the thing. Well, we got to. So you know, you guys know that uh, that Olive Law has a lot, a lot of Farrakhan in it, right? Yeah. You guys are basically aware of that, you know. Um, so uh, we've got all the powers for Farrakhan and all the powers for Alamancy. Uh, in our game, and we have a, we have all the known powers of hemallergy. Um, that's that we did not get we did not blow that out as much as we did um, with uh, Ferrochemy um, because well because we're still Brandon's still making up his mind about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, hemallergy, I, as I found it in developing the system, hemallergy covers a lot of ground with just um, you know it's eight or 12 metals that it, it has known powers for. Um, so it, and since it's based on theft, you know, you're, you're taking pieces of other, other people, uh, mm-hmm. when using hemallergy. Um, it, uh, it's, it's, what else do you steal? <laughs> you know, I yeah. found myself wondering that, well, what else could we do with this? We wonder that a lot too. That's why we asked. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think that Brandon's got some inklings of ideas, um, but he had not at the time we were developing. He hadn't made up his mind on what those were going to be. Um, so you know, there's always another secret. Uh, he, he's got some other things he's he's holding back for us, uh, but there will be something. And this game line will go on a while, so we'll have plenty of opportunities to reveal new material as we go. Mm-hmm. There's always another expansion. <laughs> no, that's Warcraft. There's a difference. Oh, well, not so much in the RPG industry. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to play my. That, perhaps that's yeah. a promotional slogan. I won't be adopting though. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's what you tell your marketing people behind closed doors. That's right. Our our marketing people. Pat, get that to our people. That's right. <laughs> I'll go speak into the mirror right now. <laughs> Right. You should have given yourself like way more cool titles, like I am the President Emperor Czar. Uh, I'm the Chief Financial Officer, and he's the CEO. Does that sound better? There you go. Yes. What was the one I used to use, Alex? The the God King Emperor of Happy Happy Fun Time. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yes. That needs to go on your business card. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the problem is that, that we've been in this business a very long time, and some of the people that we sell to and, and play with at shows are guys that they they know, right? They've seen us drunk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they've hung out with us at conventions. They, they talk to Fun us time. behind, you know, away from the forum. And if we were to bust out some crazy title or, t- or talk about, you know, the time we spend on yachts and are in exotic islands with Bond girls, then they'd know, and they'd call us on our crap. <laughs> yeah. You mean you you don't have a bunch of Bond girls around you right now? Not that I tell Alex. I I, I, uh, I was totally fooled. He is would that sleep. why your webcam is off? Right <laughs> 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 now. Yeah. Uh, no, it's really really Pat does have a fro. That's the only part of him that that is true to life. And to say, I, you know, I the life of a game designer is. It's best when you get to do things like this, when you get to talk to people that are really enthusiastic about your projects, um, you know, who, especially people who played them, that's, they're really stoked. I love, I love that part. Um, but you know, it's not, it doesn't make you super rich. <laughs> um, 
but you get to do something you love, which is why we do it. And we love having things that other people love. Uh, and, and and honestly, I mean, we, I have friends all over the world now and, and so does Alex, but you know, it's, it's, uh, we can, Alex can go crash with people in, in New Zealand. I can just call somebody up and fly over to the UK and stay with them if I want. That's something that a lot of people can't do. Um, and it's because we have this great extended family that we've we've built with all of the people that play our games. We all share something that we love. And it's it's just awesome to have that, that level of connectivity with people across the entire sphere. And, I, and that's a point actually we make in the game itself, um, you know, because we're, we're talking to people that may not have role played before, you know, done a tabletop game. They may just be somebody who likes the books, you know, um, and or they may be a lapsed gamer, someone who played when they were kids and then haven't done anything. And then they're a Mistborn fan or whatever. You know, they see this book and oh, what's this? I like this stuff. And then they read it and realize there's a game in there, too. And well, cool. Let's, you know. Let's try it out. So they scrape together a couple six-sided dice. They sit down with their friends and their family, and they play it. You know, and I really wanted that to be a possibility. And I wanted that because you get to do something in role-playing games you can't do in other games. You get to you get to do something. You sit down with your friends face to face. You work together instead of against each other. You are telling a story. You're riffing off ideas. It's a great creative thing, and you get to do something. And I don't know about how you guys have done with your role-playing experience in the past. But I know that my friends and I, I, and I've had this group of friends that I, you know, back at home, I've known 25 years. And we still talk about things we played when we were 10 years old. You know, sometimes it's still, there's jokes that come up, you know, that are part of our lives. And I, you know what? I don't ever find myself doing that with something I did in, you know, Call of Duty. You know, you remember that time I threw a plasma grenade and it stuck to your face and you got blown ass over tea kettle 20 feet you know like nobody talks about that stuff but you do talk about you know remember your character and how he died by getting blown up in the phone booth by the dude with the grenade launcher and who's wearing a kilt you know like that actually happened in one of our games and and so we still talk about that and i can't think of another gaming experience that where you have those sorts of things with your friends and so i think that's what makes it so special we really wanted to make sure that people saw that in gaming you know, um, for people who haven't played very much or have just done something like WoW or, you know, come up in the the, the more modern generation of role player uh, who thinks it's on a computer, you know, and involves giant headed little Japanese people who dance around to an 8-bit tune at the end. Um, there's, there's something more there uh, in tabletop role playing. Not, not that we denigrate game. anyone who uh, uh, who plays ti- uh, games with tiny, big-headed oh, figures. Oh, dude, I'm a huge I, I Final do. Fantasy fan. I, <laughs> I love yeah, Final so. Fantasy, but but it's it's a distinctly different experience for something like role playing. I liked Final Fantasy more when the characters had big heads than I do yeah. now. <laughs> ditto, ditto. Final Fantasy VI, man, it's bomb. I need to finish that. I do. Anyway, so you talk, yeah. So you guys talked a little about your choices about how to develop the nobility in the game. Can you tell us a little more about your choices with flushing out the noble society? Well, um, the 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 discussions of of noble society are are largely done in the first book, where we are not talking so much about rules and we're focusing more on um, kind of character narrative uh, and giving 
yeah, giving an atmospheric feel for what um, no, noble society is like. The kind of cutthroat. There's an excellent piece of fiction in there, uh, which is about uh, a bunch of nobles bantering back and forth, and meanwhile there's a crew in the midst um, that are getting ready to do a job. So we didn't go in specifically and say, you know, House Techiel does this, and you know, or there these are all the families that exist or anything like that because one I, I hear there's a website out there that has some role players that are a little bit committed to the lives <laughs> of the noble uh houses um but also we are. wanted to leave that a little more open I, I think that's something we will we'll dig into maybe more about some some beefs and and give some uh some background there but i think for us it was more about less about drawing fleshing out you know this is what noble society is because you know you create a box and then everybody feels like they have to live in that box. Rather, we wanted to draw the contrast between what a noble living in noble society is like versus what it's like living in ska society. You know, and and for the heroes of the book, you know, of your game, these people are all folks that have to live outside of it. I mean, there is no reason a terraceman, a ska, um, and uh, a noble would ever hang out under any reason. Um, in, except for crime <laughs> in the final <laughs> empire. So, so I mean that those characters and, and these are people that arrive above uh, uh, that arise above their station, you know, that are exceptionally bold. Any ska that's going to stand up and like attack a noble house, I mean that guy is insane in the world. So these people are already exceptional just by virtue of being heroic. And um, so we really didn't try to say, well, you know, if you're noble, you're going to be like this, and you're only going to talk to people that have frou-frou dresses and, and big bouffant hairdos. Um, you know, we wanted to say, like, you're you're the outsider looking in, and this is noble society feels like this, and ska society feels like that, and the overall society feels like it has this oppressive weight, you know, where you're always watched and and things are kind of falling apart. You know, and it's these incredible pressures on people, and 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 so you are you are the outsider looking in, just like you are when you're the the reader of the books, um, and, and so you get to sit outside of that a little bit, um, but so yeah, we didn't want to step on anybody's toes, but moreover, I think it's it's better to to let the players sit back and not be defined by those roles, because they are rebels and troublemakers. Now, now we know there's a hunger for it, uh, but again, we didn't want to overload people with new details in the core book. The core book is more about setting up um, the, the basics and um, filling in the holes. Um, so as we go, um, you're going to see more and more on that front. But uh, uh, what, we, what we're always cognizant of is we don't want to, by virtue of expanding the world, make the play space smaller. So if you were to actually create, uh, if we were to actually define every noble house in excruciating detail, um, we would leave you no room to create, which violates every tenant of this game. So instead, even when we get to the noble product, you're going to see sort of a patchwork uh, presentation where there are, are there's a lot of intentional breathing room for you to be able to maneuver within the ideas that we give you. So. It, as, as game designers, our goal is not to give you our game or our world. It's to give you the tools to create your game and your world. So. You sort of just answered the next questions on the outlines, too. <laughs> oh, I wasn't oh. even looking forward, did we? Sorry. No, that's good, because <laughs> that's we're, okay. we're editing the Google Doc as... 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, we're not. We're just the... Um. Quick, quick, echo. Yeah. ask him this. Ask him this. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. I need to ask a question. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really more about, like, you know, maybe a an overall big picture sort of experience that the players can go and sort of have their own happy little sandbox for each campaign. Exactly. Right. I, I think it's it's just I the first book if it needed to capture anything more um but more than anything, it needed to capture atmosphere. Um so the introduction which you guys saw in the actually the primer, the first page, um, is that sort of defining environmental feel what is it like Mm -hmm. to be a hero in this world where everything you know where you've got it's it's horrible (laughs) it's a horrible place to live no one would want to live there it's like like worse than somalia (laughs) (laughs) i feel bad for people somalia it it gets a bum rap but that's a bad place to live you know and and it's a place you know everybody like nobles are slitting each other's throats you know for for position and power and and you know you get the ska who are unbelievably downtrodden you know and, and you've got you've got the the lord rule you've got the the police and the, the the state and the church are one monolithic organization that are constantly watching everything going on you know and and who are enforcing it with a reign of terror you know and the armies out there crushing little people's attempts to be free it's out there stomping them flat you know with with hordes of maniacal blue giants you know i mean that that's a pretty crummy world you know oh and by the way you never see the sun or the moon or anything else like that because you know it's it's raining fire and ash all the time so you know it that's a that's a tough place to live and and we really wanted to have people who have never experienced um this world through the novels to feel that and then say well now you get to stand up to it and and that's that heroism that inherent lack of cynicism um is really like one of the definitive elements of what it's like to play this game um because you get to be the rebel and everybody likes to be the rebel it's true (laughs) yeah every choice we've made along the way has been um, about the gaps between definitions, um, all the way down to the visual presentation of the book. Uh, it, Alex had a very firm uh, um, vision for what he wanted to see with the uh, the product, and I think we've managed to to capture that. It, it mm-hmm. he he wants it to look like um, it's a fifth novel, um, and so it's roughly the same size and shape. It has a dust cover. It's got a stamped spine. Uh, it's got color in sheets, which is one of the deviations, but um, they're very, very cool. A very um, pretty deviation. Oh, yeah, and, you'll be excited by those. Um, Especially you, Eric. But uh, <laughs> but uh, one of the interesting choices that we made is that it's actually fairly lightly illustrated. Um, uh, in fact, the narrative portion of the book is almost entirely unillustrated, and that was um, intentional because we wanted it to be as much like the books and also as open to interpretation as possible. So what you'll notice as we develop the line is that the the deeper into it you get, the more it takes on its own identity by virtue of you bringing back to it. So speaking of taking things further down the line, we've talked a little bit about expansions. You mentioned 
nobles, possibly the Condra homeland or an Inquisitor guide, something with the Steel Ministry. Like, is there... And is there anything in specific you're going to be working on first or maybe additional ones you were thinking about that you'd like to tell us about maybe? Well, I, I do have one that's a pretty much a lock uh, and we kept this out of the book intentionally, um, but it was to deal with uh, preservation and ruin um, mm-hmm. specifically because we didn't want to have, we didn't want to make everyone feel that you must live Vin's story again. You know, the preservation and ruin are there, but their existence is so i mean the existence of any god other than the lord ruler is extremely um rare you know and so um but what we're going to do is use the supplement essentially to this is the gm secrets and how to really use preservation and ruin to wreak havoc in a campaign and to do it all behind the scenes (laughs) yeah so here's here's how to tie it here's how to tie it into when players do things you can, you know, secretly flag it. Oh, this is a this is a preservation or ruin event. The choice they make will push this scale one way or the other, and then you can have environmental destruction or, you know, whatever else. So they don't know. The players make a decision, and you know, on the other side of the world, a volcano erupts, and they have no idea why. Well, that's because you, as the GM, have got your sheet of evil. You're just making check marks on and slowly moving the scale one way or the other. So um, all sorts of things, but we want to keep that totally out of player vision. You know, um, because we don't want them to. We want to give the GMs the option of introducing that, or the narrators the option of introducing that, rather than, you know, putting it in as a core part of the game. Yeah, because Joe Ska on the street's not going to sit there, hmm, if I steal this loaf of bread, (laughs) will a volcano erupt? (laughs) If that is his character's turning point, it might be. Um, Really don't like ash balls. Yeah. Exactly. I prefer to be boiled alive by the sun. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's the sort of, um, but that's the sort of stuff that you know we're we're playing with. Uh, I, I one of my personal favorites, which um, I think is pretty likely to happen, is something with hemallergy, hemallergical creations beyond the ones that we know about. Oh. Um, because you know th- that's mentioned a couple times. There was all sorts of things that that, that were created through hemallergy. But very few stable ones, and the stable ones being like the Inquisitors and the Chondra and the uh, the Coloss. Um, so doing something about what are the other weird things that may be slithering around somewhere that uh, could be causing trouble? Yeah. So that's well, a place where you can go totally crazy, you know. That that's another interesting thing that we got to do, um, and that we'll be doing more of is the mystery angle. Mm-hmm. Um, right. uh, we were given the go ahead to start defining mistrates territorially. So you'll actually see mistrates that look different depending on where they're from. Oh. Because they're scavenging different bits of critters. They may have different diets. Um, you know, we have this kind of new type of mistrate, this monster mistrate that, you know, so you've got the kind of the slow plotting one you see in the final empire. You know, it's just kind of a moronic blob, you know, slithering along, eating things. And then you've got these other ones that are a little bit smarter, a little bit more predatory. Um, yeah, so that's, those will be, those will be something we'll play uh, a bit with too. Yeah. And the the products I'm championing the most right now, although I don't anticipate that they're going to be very far up in the, uh, in the, in the order, cause they're going to be a little harder to make are the, are the outer territories. Um, I, I really want to see, uh, see the terrorists burn lands and burn yeah. lands. I'm really excited about the burn Yeah. Lands. The burn lands are cool because that's a place entirely out of the final empire. Um, 
that's bizarre. And you have, you know, the kind of story of human, uh, the co- human, the coloss, and stuff like that. Which, if you haven't read the annotations, read the annotations about human. You guys um, should all read the annotations. Seventeen yeah, shutters an- listening, and you'll on. get new ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there yes, are new and- annotations in this book. Yeah, Brandon's oh. made some annotations as well. Uh, oh, to like our of the book. Yes. Yeah, they're in they're in the book themselves. So oh, he's yeah. made commentary throughout. That's so awesome. Well, yeah. No, that's what we said. <laughs> <laughs> he said he said I really love this. I really love where this is going. Can I write some extra stuff for it? And we said, blink, we'll blink. Make the room. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon, we don't we don't want. Now get your crappy writing out of my book. Yeah. yeah. You're in the presence of a master. <laughs> so it sounds like he really he was really deeply involved in this, like beyond what you would expect of an author who signed the license agreement. Much more oh, involved than definitely. any other license I've ever been on. Yeah, right. Because we've worked on uh, Pat. You've worked on a, a couple other licenses. I have. I worked on Stargate. Um, you know, and that was a pretty good one. Both of us. We had. Yeah. yeah. Well, P- Pat really championed that one. So, um, and that was pretty good. I mean, they they liked what the team was doing, but. And and, and you know they they were pretty open. We were able to go up to the set and actually take pictures of things firsthand and talk to the creators, and that was really good. But Ooh. even so, um, there was there's distance when you're working with an entity like MGM. Um, uh, you uh, you send something into the void and it comes out the other end, and who knows what it looks like, right? It's it's like out sending things end. out to people. Yeah. Um, uh, and Henson, like, I, I don't think we ever talked to anybody who wasn't an L&M uh, professional, which basically meant... This is meant for, the, this the, is for the, the Farscape game. So Jim so, Henson Studios. Like, um, we were seven or eight degrees removed from anybody creative on that product. So this was, like, diametrically opposed to that. Yeah. This is where we're working with the core creative team every week, you know, where we can call Brandon when we have a question... <laughs> We're on a number of occasions early on in development. I would talk to him for a couple hours, and we bang out some ideas. And I'd say, "Well, what are people like here? How do they dress? What do they do? How do they wear the facial hair? What do they eat?" You know. Um, and, and he had, he some cases he said, "Well, I'm not sure, but it's kind of like this." Um, but that was, that's a lot more than most of us have to work with, or ever would I, have to. Work with. Like, they'd be like, <laughs> another author might be read the damn books. <laughs> yeah, Alex is the guy that that talks to Brandon. Um, I, I I am a peon on this particular project, <laughs> and uh, don't don't get to hang out with the cool kids. But um, I would get these notes back to fold into the document because, of course, you know um, I, I'm the editor, so I have to make all of these things real. Um, and uh, uh, I would be like, seriously, he thought of that. I, I, Brandon's a really amazing world builder uh the the number of things that that he had taken into consideration that he really didn't have to do for a novel um it's just above and beyond so that was that made it a lot of fun to work with yeah that's so awesome wow i've said that like five times already but you know (laughs) that doesn't make it that doesn't make it any less true right I'm sure you've right. seen us all like lean into our screens in unison yeah, when you said the, certain things. Ruin and preservation. Thing. Yeah, the ruin and preservation. Everybody's heads got very big. In yeah. The webcam. <laughs> like, instantaneously, it's like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. If, do you have? Ex- would you have expansions planned for like future Mistborn trilogies? Because it's a trilogy of trilogies. Uh, oh, yeah. that's beyond me. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, when we started out, um, when we, you know, inked the license a couple years ago, um, we, uh, you know, Brandon hadn't, he'd kind of had an idea roughly about, you know, Mistborn a couple or a hundred years in the future. And I said, oh, can we do something with that? And he said, no, please don't, because I may do something with that someday. And we said, okay. So we focused our attention on, um, on the original trilogy, and now Mistborn, or that that alloy of laws there. Um, now we can play with that as well. Um, yeah. but as long as we're under license and he keeps writing stuff, we'll keep, keep making stuff around it. And if he chooses to go off and make other things for uh, the indefinite future, as long as we're under license and he lets us do it, we'll continue to expand what he's already done. Mm-hmm. So we might get to actually role-play Allomancy-powered FTL time travel a few years in the future. <laughs> Is that what he's talking about it. now? Sci-fi, <laughs> sci-fi version? Yeah, there's... The third there's, trilogy. Yeah, that's the third trilogy. So the okay. middle one is like uh, sort of 20th century technology level. There's a SWAT team of Allomancers. And then the third trilogy is sci-fi Mistborn. So wait, so there's there's something... There's two trilogies beyond Alloy? Alloy is not like one of the main trilogies. It's, it's a side story. Thing. Note that note the questions from us, right? This is <laughs> this is territory we haven't really delved into with. Yeah. Them. Frankly, I I, I uh, uh, and I I know Alex feels the same way. We we don't ask these questions because we know how busy he is, and uh, and uh, I, I I'm on the receiving end of questions like this with our other lines all the time, and uh, and. It, the, the stock answer, which you have to give, uh, uh, you kind of feel bad giving half the time. So, uh, so I always try to put myself in his position. But it's interesting to uh, to hear that he's uh, um, that he's going that far with it. Hopefully, he'll do it while we still have the license and we'll be able to play with that. Because yeah. I would love to be able yeah. to do you know, um, uh, alimantic uh, uh, space marines or something. That would be a lot. Of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, there's a way to use alimancy and ferrochemy to get faster than light travel. Uh, I, that doesn't surprise me. Some of the stuff he's explained to us about the broader perspective of his worlds is kind of mind-boggling. The cosmos yeah. is awesome. I'll tell you all <laughs> yeah, well, and there's the the twin born are like mind melting. You know, some of the stuff they do. It's like, oh yeah, so 16 metals times 16 metals is 256 different twin born combinations. I was like, oh god. We have to write that. I book. thought writing I thought writing sixty powers for for this game was hard enough, but which uh, is a lot of freaking powers. <laughs> Come yeah. up with combinations of powers that you already have, right? So that yeah, that's kind of nice. Well, yeah, but I think that you know people would look and say, well, I I want to know different ways that these can yeah bounce off each other, and you know what what are the unique things I can do if I have gold alamancy and uh, I'm trying to think of a weird one. Aluminum, uh, ferrochemy. Like, uh, I, uh, what does aluminum I don't know. do? Yeah, what does aluminum do? Uh, I can't say. <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> Did we just get raffled? <laughs> no. Uh, uh, You'll know in You can't see minutes. me in a webcam, but there's a big hand held up at the screen. Like, talk to the hand. Yeah, I'm right. giving you. I'm giving you your secret. Speaking of the Cosmere, though, are there thoughts for maybe RPGs of other Cosmere books or even incorporating the Planet Hoppers somehow? Mm, there's nothing we've talked about at this time. I mean, we're just trying to finish Mistborn. Um, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, the, we've talked a little bit about, I mean, just internally, we said, oh, we have kings, what can we do with that? And sort of, you know, um, <laughs> taking little jabs. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, as far as the larger Cosmere, I mean, the, the game itself, um, the game structure um, is sort of representative of the Cosmere itself. There, For example, characters have three levels to them, just like um, people in the Cosmere have three levels to them. Um, so that there's, and those, and in those abilities, you'll find the elements of the Cosmere, you know, characters have a stat called spirit, um, which represents their, you know, metaphysical and, and, uh, and kind of luck their metaphysical well-being and their luck and their connection with those sorts of things. So there, there's Cosmere elements built in. We, we kind of, you know, I'm sorry. The name is escaping me. It's what theory? What, I can't remember the word. Realmatic theory. That's realmatic yeah. theory. That's yeah. the one. I'm sorry. I, I said <laughs> I work at a hospital. Rheumatic theory. I was thinking like rheumatoid arthritis. <laughs> and it was not, yeah, that, that covers all the magic. I couldn't get around it. So, <laughs> so it's swollen theory. Uh, the um, geriatric metals. There is a geriatric lot of building. It's pretty. Okay, sorry. That was. It's, uh, okay. Uh, anyway, um, the uh, so realmatic theory is is something that Brandon and I talked about um, in the development of the game, and you know I kind of built with that in mind. So it's it's there, um, it, it, and character the, the game it had structures reflective of it, and and uh, but you know it's not it, we don't dig real deep into the Cosmere stuff um, because it's just it's, it's hard to high minded yeah yeah it's, it's 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 much bigger than this game, you know. Um, we want this game to be really good and to do its job really well. Um, and then I'm sure we'll be able to make up something in the future that says we had a master plan the whole time. As long as you cut this part out, no one will know. To do it. <laughs> in the next edition, we'll cut that part out. Never happened. Right? <laughs> but, you know, I had to ask. I had to ask about the possibility sure, of it happening sure. in the future. It's mm-hmm. yeah, anything is possible. But as Alex and I have figured out uh, through many years of doing this, the best policy is always to look at the thing right in front of you, um, the thing behind you, because there's almost always something that's just about to explode, um, and the thing right in front of you, and that's it. Go any further, and it's death. <laughs> we also learn not to talk quite so much about what we might want to do. Yeah. What might you want to do? No. Oh. We 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 we're, we're game designers. We've got about you know like a novelist, right? We've got you know twenty different ideas that we think are all like awesome. My projects um, folder is ridiculous. And it Just takes you ridiculous. years yeah. to get to the next one, yeah. sometimes. So <laughs> it's better to just shut your your mouth and hope it's still there five years from now, because that's what it takes. I have a project that's been going on for ten years. Wow. He has. Yeah, it, and it still it, hasn't been published. It, it is a, a a rare case, but it uh, and an extreme case. But he's he's right. It is ten years. <laughs> yes. So some things are just worth waiting for. So just shut your pie hole and wait. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, cruise and new metals and yes. Yes, and, and ash and pain and mm-hmm. oh, sorry that that's, that's not too much pain. The, the pain is your pain. Editing process, Actually, yeah. <laughs> the pain is yeah. Uh, 
Just someone stabbing you with a spike. I don't know. Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> that must have been a fun part of developing the game. Just all the playtesting involved. Oh, gosh. Yeah, oh. playtesting has been fun. It's, uh, it's, an, it's an interesting process developing a new game. Interesting. Yeah, but, but interesting. see, play, what playtesting is is an invitation for new work. It, you know, I don't really get to playtest my own products. I get to put it in front of someone else and have them go, I don't get it. <laughs> and then you you go, oh, crap. You pick it up. You take half of it. You pull out your hatchet. You chop that part off. And you just figure out, can I stick this back on again or not? You know, what do I have to to do to save it? So it's uh, playtesting is, is that process. You have to do that, you know, 20 times. Where people find a way to break it, and then you go, you're right, you win. <laughs> and then you go back and you fix it. And you put it back on the table and they go, you know, it's, it's like making stuff for uh, uh, Goldilocks, right? Too hot, too cold. You know, and, and they're right. Playtesters are always right. You're, they're your audience. So, you know, you're just trying to find the just right. Uh, well, you know, and, too fluffy, too hard, uh, constantly. Yeah, and, and the, the playtesting, uh, everyone thinks playtesting is sit down, play game, have fun, uh, notice problems, fix problems. And, and actually, uh, it usually is more like um, send things out into void, um, get random comment back, ask person um, what they mean by comment, get other random comment that seems unrelated to the first comment, ask yet another question, and repeat that process until you figure out that all of their random comments actually mean something else. You look for that common statement between all of them, and you fix that. Um, so it's kind of like chaos theory. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I love playtesting, but it is um, meticulous. And it, so Alex and I like to refer to a lot of what we do as behavioral design. It's less about designing a mechanic that is, um, uh, is statistically sound and more about designing a mechanic that will elicit a certain response out of the player and the GM. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, game balance, the game balance of that is very, very different than does two equal two. And so frequently, the actual writing process is you talking to the playtester long enough to figure out how they're using your system and why you do or don't like what they're doing with your system and how to <laughs> reinforce or, uh, or uh, undermine their reaction, which is a really horrific way of looking at it, right? But right. that's actually what happens. Yeah, I mean, what, what <laughs> I would, to, to spin off what Pat's talking about, um, role-playing games are um, inherently what we call democratized. Um, just like you know the the world of social media, right? You got blogs and and stuff like that. The technology is anybody can pick up and do whatever they want with it. So no longer do you have control. You know, like everything. There's this is a standard for print. You know, you spell everything. This follow Strunk and White's guide. You know, this is how it works. Now everybody who anybody who can sign up for Blogspot can be a blogger. You know, and those people can become reporters, you know, and, and thus get a lot of followers. And, and it's a very different world. And it's the same thing with RPGs. RPGs are exactly what people make of them. Um, so you have to look at it and go, the player's never wrong, but how do I guide them in a direction that I want? And that's what behavioral design is, what Pat's talking about. How, how do I say, how do I incentivize what I would consider correct behavior? You know, how do I, like, 
correct behavior in Mistborn is encouraging people to be creative about how they how they take actions. So, or in some cases, develop the the sandbox and wait for them to tell you what it is that needs to be incentivized. Because right, that's right. happened to us quite a few times. Not right. on this product, because this product had a much more um, a, a, a more organic uh, a development process. It was also a lot longer than we usually take. Um, right. And so as a result of that, we had the benefit of being able to sort of make strategic choices at every at every step, um, as opposed to throwing a, um, a, a new mechanical structure out there and seeing what awful things people do with it, and then deciding which of those 12 things we like most and centering a new design around that, which is frequently the way that, that D20 design actually works. Yeah. So I, it's the... Uh... But you know, there, so there's ways you can set up, you know, you can create it and knowing how t- people think and learning how people think to pass point and then dangling the right carrot in front of them. You know, in this case of ours, it's, uh, for example, in our system, it's the trait bonus dice. If I do things, you know, if I describe things in a certain way, well, then I'm going to describe things in that way because I want to do better. Of course you do. And so we dangle that carrot in front of them, and that encourages them to play the game in a certain way, and that makes the game more exciting. That makes the game more interesting. And so exactly what we're trying to do, it's, it's, it's to sculpt, sculpt an experience for people without telling them this is how you must do it. You know, it's not like – it's not Candyland. Sometimes it would be easier to design Candyland, let me tell you. <laughs> Candyland with spikes. That's right, yes. And metal. <laughs> Stabbing me in the so, face. Somebody is going to hear this on the interview and actually make an Inquisitor Candyland game. That would be and awesome. And we will have you guys to thank. That would be awesome. All you have to do is like spike a certain number of people to advance along the board. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, I got a ferrochemist! I advanced three spaces! <laughs> yeah. I don't pay into royalty, I just want a copy of the game. <laughs> I would buy that game. I would totally buy that yeah. game. It'd be awesome. Oh, yes. <laughs> you, you you have to play with a really big group of people, and they'll they'll just they'll just keep dying as you move along the field. <laughs> oh, just wait till the live action version comes out. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't want to think about how people are going to represent um, spiking each other in a I've... in a LARP. I've, I've, man, I've just elicited a universal response across all the 17 shards stat for a second time in the interview where everybody's covering, they're all face palming me. So, no, no, awesome. no, we're not face palming. We're just like, oh my gosh, that would be hilarious. I live, I live in dark places, you see. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey now, hilarious. now we have a new game for the Alloy of Law release line. <laughs> This has been 17th Shards Interview with Crafty Games. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you around the Cosmere.